I am Dr. Barbara Kiel, and some clients of mine prefer to call me Dr. Bibi. And to be honest, I quite like it. Welcome to my podcast. To be honest, a podcast that is born out of mental health efficacy. I believe in the power of intention, and my intention for this podcast is to educate whoever wishes to listen, and to make a paradigm shift in how we perceive mental illness. I also believe mental health education is key, and that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is to invest. In your own mental health. Let's face it, we all need to learn how our minds work, and have the skills to deal with life's ups and downs. And more importantly, let us strengthen our ability to better connect with and support each other. Strong, empathetic. Nurturing and caring relationships have the power to prevent everyday challenges from becoming more concerning issues like mental illness. The responsibility to renew focus on your own mental well-being begins now. Let us set the energy of this episode together. You may wish to put your hand on your heart. And close your eyes, unless you're driving or operating heavy machinery. So take a deep breath in, and as you exhale, let your thoughts go. Let your worries go, and let your past go. Now take a moment to plug into the greater energy of the universe. Feel your heart, and imagine us all connected in a unified field of divine white light. And know that you are safe, all is well, and so it is. So take another deep breath in, and exhale out loud with a sigh. And when you are ready, slowly open your eyes. Welcome, everyone. To to be honest, and today we are going to explore how low self-esteem can hurt our relationships. Now, when it comes to self-esteem, it is better to view it as a continuum. That means it can be high, medium, or low. As a matter of fact, it is often quantified as a number in empirical research. When considering self-esteem, it is important to realize that both high and low levels can be emotionally and socially harmful for the individual. So, what are we saying here? It means the optimum level of self-esteem that is considered really healthy lies in the middle of the continuum. And I would like to point out the esteem that I'm referring to in today's episode is our ego esteem. Okay, so it's E G O. 
uh, because later on I might introduce you to other types of esteem. But for today, I am referring to ego esteem. Interestingly enough, research shows that individuals who are operating within this range, meaning in the middle of the continuum, they are thought to be more socially dominant within relationships. Research has also shown key differences between individuals with high and low self-esteem. For example, people with high self-esteem they tend to focus on growth and improvement on themselves, whereas people with low self-esteem they focus on not making mistakes in life. Back in 2003, a research done by Silverstone and Sousley, they claim that low self-esteem has been shown to be correlated with a number of negative results such as depression. And in 2001, the research done by Rosenberg and Owen, they discovered that people with low self-esteem are more troubled by failure and tend to exaggerate events as being negative. Now this can really affect one's a relationship because they also often interpret non-critical comments as critical. Then in turn, they would get defensive. And I'm sure we all have experienced communicating with people who gets defensive more often than not. It is just not a pleasant experience. Furthermore, low self-esteem individuals tend to be pessimistic towards people and groups within society. Another research, Ginden in 2002 asked school counselors to list five characteristics that best describe students with low self-esteem, and over a thousand words were used. And I am going to share with you the most common ones are withdrawn, shy, quiet, insecure, underachieving, negative attitude. Unhappy, socially inept, angry, hostile, unmotivated, depressed, dependent, follower, poor self-image, non-risk taker, lacks self-confidence, poor communication, and acts out. Now let me circle back to what I said earlier. Individuals with low self-esteem they often interpret non-critical comments as critical, which leads to this very important question: How negative interpretations can hurt relationships? Based on my years of professional experience, I dare say that one of the most destructive patterns in romantic relationships is negative interpretations. No, I think I'm going to change my mind. It is one of the most destructive patterns in any kind of relationships, particularly in romantic relationships, is negative interpretations. A negative interpretation happens when a significant other believes that the motives of their partner are more negative than they actually are. No joke. This toxic behavior is a silent killer of relationships, just like carbon monoxide. 
it fills the air of the relationship with an almost undetectable gas that suffocates the positivity of a relationship with negative assumptions. Now, needless to say, the more frequently it happens, the more at risk the relationship is for misery, frustration, and separation. Let me give you a made-up case.、Uh, let's call the couple、uh, Jack and Jill again. Now, Jack and Jill have been married for fourteen years and are about to celebrate their fifteen-year anniversary. Now, this has been a topic of tension due to a comment Jack made during their second year of dating when he said, "Anniversaries are dumb." This is compounded by the couple's history of conflict around how to celebrate. Now, let me share with you what their conversation is like. Jill is all excited about the anniversary, so she says, "Our anniversary is coming up. We should do something special. Maybe we could go out." And Jack is thinking about how going out is expensive and money is tight. So he says, "Well, darling, I'm not so sure. I think it would be better for us to just do something at home, don't you think?" So now Jill, ruminating about his comment thirteen years ago, the anniversaries are dumb, right? Clearly, Jill has not worked this out herself. Instead, she says, "Well, if you don't want to celebrate, just say so. Clearly, I'm not important to you." So Jack, feeling confused, as he does want to celebrate, but he doesn't want to spend money they don't have. So he says, "No, I do want to celebrate. I just think that it would be nice for us to cook dinner together and relax together at home." So by now, Jill's heart rate is over hundred beats per minute, meaning emotional flooding. So she says, "If you think doing something special to celebrate our marriage is so stupid, then why would you even marry me?" So by now, Jill is staring at Jack with the fury of hurt in her eyes before walking out of the kitchen. So you see, my audience. Like Jill, sometimes our thoughts and feelings feel so right that it feels wrong to question them. The brain and the eye may have a contractual relationship in which the brain has agreed to believe what the eye sees, but in return, the eye has agreed to look for what the brain wants. Now, this is problematic for our romantic relationships and can cause nasty conflict when those assumptions are negative. And guess what? Research validates that these negative thoughts often lead to harsher ways of starting conversations, such as criticism and contempt, which increases the chances that our partner will respond with defensiveness and rejection. So you see, with Jack and Jill's interactions, things escalated rather quickly. Jill, who was already worried about not being important to Jack, quickly assumes that Jack doesn't want to celebrate their anniversary, which is not true. This interpretation hijacks her thinking, despite evidence that he has actively participated in celebrating their relationship for the past fourteen years, including cooking a romantic meal and making her a bubble bath. Or buying her a lovely necklace for their tenth anniversary. So you see, 
Jill's negative interpretation blocks her from constructively dealing with this issue, and instead, hearing that Jack does not want to celebrate the anniversary, or asking him what his ideas are about how they might celebrate. It is unfortunate when one partner has a firm grip on a negative assumption of their partner's actions or words. It is nearly impossible to change their minds and help them see it from a different perspective. So, despite Jack's best efforts, he cannot break down the walls of Jill's perception of him and his intentions. Unfortunately, if a negative interpretation is strong enough, nothing—yes, nothing—the one on the receiving end of it can do will change it. That's why it is so destructive. And the cost of negative interpretations on relationships is that research has discovered that unhappy couples have a tendency to contribute to difficulties in the relationship to their partner's character flaws. As a result, this negative perspective leads to viewing even neutral actions as negative. Now, over time. Relationship challenges become less of a problem that both partners co-create, and instead they get blamed on one partner. And once this pattern of thinking becomes habitual, it makes improving the relationship an uphill battle. Remember the Four Horsemen by、uh, Dr. Gottman. He once said that、uh, marital problems easily arise if your thoughts and feelings are distorted. Often, these negative interpretations are a result of low trust in the relationship. According to Gottman, trust exists in a relationship when partners behave in ways that are in the best interest of both partners. Unfortunately, when one partner has low self-esteem, most likely. They won't be able to do that as long as Jill holds this negative perspective. Neither Jack or Jill will be able to come to a resolution on how to celebrate their marriage and improve it. On top of it all, the more Jill's negative interpretations cast Jack's actions in a negative light, the more she will feel justified in being harsh toward Jack. Just like one's self-esteem, negative interpretations are something you have to confront within yourself, because only you can control how you interpret other people's messages and their behaviors and their thoughts, isn't it? People who have healthy esteem, they tend to ask questions often during conversation. Why? Because they want to clarify what message the communicator is really conveying, instead of making assumptions. As the old saying goes, "When you assume, you make an ass out of you and me." So the bottom line is that it starts with you. Now here are three things that one can do. Number one, explore your relationship history, particularly、uh, your romantic relationship, if that's what you're focusing on, and assumptions about people who are important to you. 
Now, for the benefit of those listeners who do not know about the attachment theory,、uh, which is a psychological, evolutionary, and ethological theory concerning relationships between humans, particularly as a young child, what is our attachment styles with our caregivers, mainly our parents? I'll quickly share with you what those attachments are. There are four attachment styles. One is secure. Another is anxious, preoccupied attachment. Another is dismissive, avoidant attachment, and the last is a fearful, avoidant attachment style. Well, it just dawned on me that maybe、uh, next time I could do an episode on this, so you know what attachment styles you have. You see, research evidence has shown that we develop beliefs about what we can expect or anticipate from others who are close to us, like our parents. And these past experiences create a bias to view others in similar ways. The problem is that these beliefs can be self-perpetuating. Let's take a look at Jack and Jill's case again. Now, with the limited、uh, background knowledge that I gave you, Jill has a tendency to believe that her needs were unimportant, and most likely this is related to her childhood upbringing. Another sign is that somehow she somewhat passively asks about going out to celebrate, right, rather than sharing her needs directly and vulnerably. We know we have a healthy self-esteem when we feel comfortable enough to request for what we want directly and vulnerably. Please take note: more often than not, these negative interpretations are rooted in past attachment injuries that happened before, way before she met Jack. So healing this will help change future interactions between the two. Here is a question to help you explore what kind of attachment injuries you might have in the past. What are some areas in your life in which you find yourself consistently? Now the key word is consistently perceiving your partner's behavior negatively. Let me repeat the question. What are some areas in your life in which you find yourself consistently perceiving your partner's behavior negatively? Now, to be honest, it doesn't have to be just your partner, right? You can use this question to ask yourself relating to authority figures or even your best friend. Needless to say, make sure you answer the question honestly; otherwise, it's not going to serve the purpose. Number two, develop healthy self-doubt. It helps healthy esteem. One of the benefits of being mindful is the ability to be aware of judgments without acting on them. Particularly when one is experiencing low self-esteem, so to be able to question the judgments, it is key to do a reality check. So by being mindful, you are able to question the negativity in your head. Look for evidence that disproves the harsh narrative you have about your partner. Here is a good exercise to help you with your negative interpretations. 
List two issues about which you are willing to challenge yourself to look for the positive motivations of your partner. Let's say one issue you have is that your partner cannot be trusted, and the second issue is that your partner always turns down your requests. So the next step is to look for evidence that is contrary to your negative interpretations of those two issues. Again, when you are doing this exercise, you need to be radically honest with yourself. Make sure to objectively look for the evidence that is contrary to your own negative interpretations, because we know our ego wants to be right. Last and definitely not least. As a matter of fact, I would say is the most important thing you can do in order to adjust your interpretations is to own your needs and feelings. More often than not, when we blame others, we put all the responsibility for the problem on them. The reality is that underneath any criticism or contempt lurks a hidden wish or longing. Actually, research shows that 96% of the time, if a conversation starts negative, it will end negative. So instead of blaming, express your feelings about a situation and what you long for. Maybe you really long for your partner to agree with you more. So whatever you may be feeling or longing, be honest with yourself and your partner. Be willing to be vulnerable. So thank you for listening. Until next week, stay safe, learn heaps, and find the courage to be honest. Bye for now. You can find this podcast, to be honest, on Apple Podcast, Spotify, and my website, www.drbarbarakiao.com. D R B A R B A R A K I A O dot com. Mm-hmm.